This is the NSOJ Tanoi Podcast, the official podcast of the National School of Journalism, Bangalore. Hello everyone, I'm Timothy Franklin and my guest today is Dr. Naveen Thomas, the CEO and Director of Bangalore Baptist Hospital, which is one of Bangalore's largest multi-speciality hospitals with more than 200 doctors and 1,200 staff members. We talk about Bangalore's capacity to cope with the surge in COVID cases, surprising facts concerning COVID being airborne, when it will be safe for schools and colleges to reopen, how Baptist Hospital's community health work has gone on during the pandemic, the compassion and courage of health professionals who refused to abandon their post, and the earliest time when we can expect a vaccine to be ready for public use. We spoke on a rainy morning in Dr. Thomas's office. Listen in. Welcome to the NSOJ Tanoi podcast, Dr. Thomas. Thank you, thank you. Bangalore is becoming one of the hotspots in terms of the COVID pandemic in India. Yes. Is Bangalore's healthcare infrastructure ready for the surge? And is Baptist Hospital ready for the surge? Uh, the ba- Bangalore becoming a hotspot is not a surprise at all because uh, it is a metropolis and a large population and uh, you know we are the fourth largest isn't it in the country and highly connected so you know right in the beginning we had access to the, the people were traveling in from all over with an international airport which is so busy so it is not a surprise that Bangalore uh, has become a hotspot. So, you know, would have been surprised, pleasantly surprised if it did not become. So this is expected. So no surprise there at all. Now, when it when you look at the overall preparedness for what is going on, we know that uh, Karnataka and uh, Bangalore did very well right in the beginning. Now, again, as expected, things seem to be getting slightly out of hand. We hope there is an end of the tunnel, that there will be light at the end of the tunnel. We don't know how long this tunnel is. Is it uh, two more months, three more months? Is it October that we reach the peak? We don't know. We don't know. We'll have to wait to find out. But in terms of the infrastructure, uh, we see, we hear these stories of people running around and trying to find a bed in the middle of the night. Um, is that uh, because of the, the way the, the system is organized or are we seeing a genuine shortage of beds and ICU, uh, ICU care facilities? Yeah, I think it's a good question. Right now, the, uh, the deficiency, if I, can, I may use that word, is in when it relates to intensive care beds and ventilators so that will be the big uh, thing that will affect the overall care now you can find beds for uh, mildly symptomatic and moderately symptomatic people but it is the sick people who will find it difficult as of now there is there is a sense that 
you know, hospitals are being overwhelmed by sick patients because remember that the ICU beds are needed for the regular patients as well. The heart attacks are going on as before. Uh, you know, That's a very valid point, doctor. People with other chronic illnesses like cancer, uh, tuberculosis or uh, heart disease, how have they been affected by the, the pandemic? I think it's a very relevant issue, very relevant question. The uh, true that this pandemic has to take priority, but it should not be because we neglect other things. We have seen cancers which have spread because you know a certain lump or something was neglected for two months. We are also seeing worsening of chronic illnesses. We are seeing complications of chronic illnesses like diabetes and hypertension and uh, they suddenly stop treatment and then you land up with trouble. But That's have right. you faced a shortage of uh, doctors, staff, equipment or drugs? Uh, I think now, you know, initially it was being managed as uh, purely government-run COVID response. So, but soon it was evident that that was not possible and rightly so, every private hospital, especially the larger ones, were roped in. So isolation facilities were created. So that is a welcome thing. But as I said earlier, the, uh, the real crunch uh, is, already is and probably is going to grow, will be for the very sick, the intensive care patients. But that is something that is being addressed, uh, at least partially, not fully. So hopefully things will get a little better, but then the increasing numbers will challenge and stress the system in that aspect. That is why we have to make sure that our people adhere to, um, you know, simple measures like wearing of masks, and uh, social distance is a wrong uh, term, physical distancing, when possible, when appropriate. You know, that has to be done. That is something that we must keep uh, talking about, encouraging each other. This brings yeah. me to this, this next question, which is troubling a lot of people. Uh, uh, about 200 scientists wrote an open letter to the WHO pointing um, to the fact that there is some evidence, although not conclusive, that COVID is now airborne. Can you explain to us what implications this has for your protocols in terms of in hospitals and also in terms of what people can do? Is there a change that is required in terms of behavior? We were told wear a mask, wash your hands, keep uh, six feet distance. Is there something more that needs to be done if, if COVID is indeed airborne? Yeah, uh, excellent question. The, you know, is COVID now airborne? It was always airborne. Uh, you know, we have been slow to declare some things, you know, because it has implications, it will cause anxiety. It, it was a pandemic for a long time before uh, WHO said it is a pandemic. Again, you know, not to point fingers, but then uh, they said uh, human to, right in the beginning, if you remember, human to human transmission, there is no evidence for that even when it was actually happening mm. and huge regions were being blockaded right in the place where it originally started. Yes. Everyone knew that was the human to human transmission was going on, but uh, for some reason, 
it was not acknowledged and it came very late. That is, you know, uh, some amount of opacity, lack of uh, transparency. Um, I think that is a disease that we must uh, get rid of. We may not be able to get rid of uh, uh, COVID so easily, but then lack of transparency is something we must get rid of because, you know, ultimately that is the winning strategy. So we know that it is airborne, uh, but droplet infection, uh, you know, transmission seems to be a major way. So we must take care of that. Uh, open air situation, ventilation, where you know where windows are open and there is good airflow, that seems to be much safer space than a shut-in space where windows are not open. There is no cross ventilation. Lot of you know many people together. We know that when people are uh, shouting or singing or uh, you know sneezing and Super coughing. Super spreader events. Yes. Choir practices. Yes. Yes. Uh, closed. Yes. Uh, uh, you know gatherings in the. Absolutely. Absolutely. So walking on the road is it dangerous? No. It is inside the room where it is dangerous. Inside the mall. Inside the shop. Inside a smaller space where you are cocooned with others. That is the problem. Now, we cannot avoid it totally. So, uh, what are the things that one can do? Is, for example, you go to a building, you have stairs, if possible, use the stairs. Don't get into the lift if possible. But if you are getting into the lift, make sure everybody wears the mask appropriately. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, the so, uh, wherever you are cocooned, reduce the time and exposure, uh, you can't totally avoid it. Do whatever you can and move on. And uh, uh, see, ultimately, uh, another thing is another aspect that I want to bring in is that uh, at least half of us, or maybe more, in fact, uh, German uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel said she expects up to 70% of Germans to ultimately get infected. I think it is, it, she has uh, hit the nail on its head in the sense it will happen looking at the infectivity of the virus. But the, but the important thing is we don't want that to happen all together. Which will overwhelm the health systems. Absolutely. Is COVID a disease that if people seek medical attention early on in its progression can be completely uh, treated. Uh, one thing to note, um, Timothy, is, uh, is the fact that this virus has a mind of its own. In the sense, in many other diseases, you can have, you can assess few factors and say, this is the chance of morbidity. This is the, you know, this is the you know intensity of the disease that you you are likely to have. This is the uh, percentage of death, you know, mortality and things like that. This, here, it behaves so erratically and uh, you have most unexpected results. Someone you didn't expect the person to survive suddenly survives and uh, somebody who's not supposed to have that kind of outcome suddenly becomes very, very ill. So that happens, but we know that overall, most people recover, thankfully. Yes, is there early intervention which is important? Uh, yes, in one sense, because uh, the, there are guidelines already 
for example starting of uh, dexamethasone uh, early enough you know not when it is diagnosed but when symptoms start or you know there are criteria when the saturation drops below 92 or uh, you know there, there are criteria but it is something which has been shown to uh, impact so we, we the in that sense early intervention is needed yes so to be in touch with the qualified medical personnel regarding this and uh, right on time to start these things not necessarily admission sometimes admission but uh, starting these measures early will help okay a lot of parents are anxious about children yes what real threats are there presented um, for children during the pandemic and also young adults in the age group between 18 and 25 college going yes. students and school students yeah the initial idea was that the young folks are totally immune to this disease but uh, that is not the case and we do find you know there are reports from all over all over the world in fact that uh, there are you know some uh, inflammatory responses among these uh, young folks sometimes children sometimes children so most of them recover very very easily even if they get it is that uh, there are there are immune responses uh, you know hyper inflammatory responses which uh, uh, which cause uh, severe manifestations and uh, so there are fortunately the numbers are very low this is the time when policy makers are deciding whether colleges should open again for this academic year whether schools should open again for the academic year or go online completely this based on what you have seen so far and the scientific evidence that is there what would your recommendation be for 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 policy makers when it comes to to schools and and reopening for physical classes yeah physical classroom sessions to start i don't think it is time yet um i think we will have to wait and see we don't know will it be in uh, september will it be october will it be november will it be this uh, calendar year at all we don't know i think we have to be wise um online uh, you know uh, classes are possible thankfully and it is happening and uh, i think we must encourage that but if there is a need for an exam you know recently karnataka government did yes. demonstrate that it is possible to safely conduct those but remember they were able to get large spaces space them out appropriately and enforce some amount of discipline and do that on a daily basis you cannot do that let's accept that i think you have a very active uh, community health department how what what role does that play in in terms of um, of of engaging with with the local community yeah that is an excellent question we the community health department in baptist hospital you know it's almost 100 people who are uh, working in this one of the largest uh, community health setups for any private hospital uh, in the state now they uh, even during the lockdown they engaged with those with chronic illnesses that they were aware of they had registered on their uh, follow ups so they had to visit these villages some remote places slums and uh, 
even had to deliver these medicines like antihypertensive medicines or diabetes anti-diabetes medicines in their homes this was during the lockdown period and uh, this really helped and uh, the other thing that the community health uh, very effectively done was to get village uh, uh, folks and also the slum people to have self-help committees and they took responsibility for their own health and uh, education was very crucial key um, and they, they were taught as to what can be done what should not be done what is to be avoided and uh, what is to be done so that was very liberating in one sense so, so a lot of feedbacks about this saying, uh, you know, we, we never knew how to manage and thank you for coming in and telling us. At a time when there was a lot of fear and stigma attached to, to COVID, how have you been able to motivate your staff, particularly your community health department, to go out there and engage with the community? Yeah, it would be dishonest to say that uh, we were not concerned or worried about it, anxiety during these periods, you know, it is normal and that it was there among uh, our staff too. But, you know, um, I think uh, a lot of uh, mutual encouragement and uh, we also uh, saw that there were so many out there who would say, yes, we, we know the risks, but we will take whatever precautions that we can and move in. So leading by example was something that uh, we saw in all our units. So that changed the overall picture. So should we stop the community health uh, initiatives in the slums and uh, in the villages during this period, even during the lockdown period, was a question. But the final decision by the, by the team itself was no. That would be like running away, soldiers running away from war. Uh, that is not the right thing to do. But so they, they just used the PPEs that uh, was practical and uh, many of them were reused appropriately, but they kept the, uh, you know, the uh, village center and the uh, slum centers and the mobile clinics on and uh, they never stopped it. So that was very heartening. So it is infectious. You know, when you do that, it's infectious, so people get encouraged and uh, uh, use whatever is practical and move on, trust in God and move on and do what is right. And uh, so far it has worked and we are, we are very grateful for this spirit among the staff that we have seen. Baptist Hospital, of which you are the CEO and, and the director, what steps have you taken? to ensure that you are able to live up to your stated objective of delivering quality healthcare with compassion? Yeah, uh, you know, I think it has come through the staff who, who have, who, you know, who passionately believe in this. I think that has made the difference. Now, we have staff from all, you know, many states, many languages, different religions, different backgrounds, but working together for the same goal. And the stated vision of the hospital is, uh, you know, healing and wholeness in the spirit of Christ. 
but you know it is the stuff different people who have contributed to this overall vision i if i remember you know if i can quote one example uh, a story which i keep repeating often you know in uh, kannamangalapalya we have the you know base community health base from where the mobile clinics go out to villages and this base was donated by you know the uh, professor mumtaz ali khan some of you might know about him he was uh, a minister in the previous government um, now he is quite an old uh, gentleman and he was a social worker he donated this piece of land and building to bangalore baptist hospital the governor of karnataka had come to inaugurate this and there was a large crowd this was about 15 years ago i still remember this and he got onto the stage and he said most of us here are hindus who have come to inaugurate a facility donated by a muslim gentleman to a christian organization i remember the whole uh, gathering applauding this and that is the strength of baptist hospital people working together but contributing to the same vision it is healing and wholeness in the spirit of jesus christ wrap this up with one final question and put you on the spot uh, will there be a vaccine available for public use by the end of this calendar year uh, i would think so i think there is all about 85% chance that there will be an effective vaccine by the end of the year pro earliest probably would be october but hopefully by the end of the year we cannot hurry it up other because if vaccines have side effects which are discovered later it becomes disastrous and it will make people stop using vaccines we don't have much of anti vaxer movement in india but it can happen if we misfire wrongly well if it comes earlier than that let's say it's a pleasant surprise but it's probably by the end of the year that we will see an effective well tested vaccine but let's hope for the best so there is light at the end of the tunnel uh, i think so i think so we let's hope so let's pray that it is true and uh, but till then we have to move on there is no other option than to move on but it's good to see the positive spirit all around of people who say yes let's face it together and we we can and they, they have shown it and it's wonderful to know that thank you dr navin thomas thank you timothy that was wonderful